welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be continuing our sermon series, As It Is in Heaven. We started it last week uh, and really started with the idea of how do we respond to God's invitation to live that way, uh, to live life uh, counter to kind of the brokenness of the world around us and the way that the world would say, no, this is the way things are done around here, that we would say, no, we're going to do things the way things are done up there down here and move into that in our day-to-day experiences and in our relationships with one another. So we're going to be continuing that series this morning, and I want to frame out really how we can have a lens for viewing what Uh, what it looks like to participate in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and how we should expect that uh, maybe to uh, begin in our lives. I came across uh, a story earlier this week. Uh, There was an art collector named Clifford Shorer. Uh, He was based in Boston, and he was late for a party, and so he stopped into a bookstore to purchase a gift. I'm not sure what kind of party he was going to that needed a gift of a book, but I'm sure it was going to be a really, really awesome party. Uh, But he stops in there, and there was a man uh, who was the bookseller that he knew, and they ended up in a conversation because the man knew that Mr. Shore was an art collector, and the man produced a drawing that was a a friend of his. Now, not something that a friend of his had drawn, but one that was in his possession, and his friend had come upon this drawing at a garage sale, had purchased it for $42, and it was purportedly a drawing of a German artist named Albrecht Durer from the 1500s. Uh, Albrecht Durer uh, passed away in 1528, and so purportedly this was one of his drawings. And Mr. Schorr, as an art collector and kind of knowing who this was, one of the most famous uh, German artists, and knowing that the last uh, of his undiscovered drawings had actually been discovered 100 years prior, he was pretty skeptical uh, about this, but he said, I'll take a look at it quick on my way to this party. And so the man produced the picture and, and showed it to him. And he looked at it, and this was his initial response. He said, this is either the greatest forgery I have ever seen, or this is a masterpiece. And that began a three-year quest where Mr. Shore was able to take possession of this drawing, and for the next three years, uh, making dozens of international flights, visiting with museum curators and other uh, experts in uh, art and uh, artifacts, It turns out that the drawing was absolutely 100% legit to the tune of a value of $14 million. Now, some of you are thrift store junkies, some of you are garage sailors, and you're elbowing somebody right next to you, and you're like, this is why we do this, right? But I would point out that the only way that this discovery was able to be made was because somebody had experience with what was real. They had the experience of what was authentic. It took somebody who had eyes to recognize the value of what was right in front of them, of what somebody had in their possession but couldn't have evaluated, and what others had been able to walk by and look at and not regard with any value whatsoever. And as we continue our series and we talk about what it means to kind of live out the kingdom of heaven on earth, to to live out in partnership with the kingdom of God, I want to suggest to you that we need to have eyes to recognize when God's at work and how he's at work so that we can receive that and partner 
with that. And just for a, just kind of an exercise this morning, I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. I'll ask you to open them in, in a brief moment. That way you don't fall asleep this morning. Uh, but we are going to try this. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine if you were seeing the kingdom of God acted out in front of you. If you were to describe an experience that you, you would say, that was the kingdom of God, that was a move of God, that was uh, heaven on earth, I, want you, I would just want you to think for a moment, what, what does that look like right now? What, what are you seeing? What are you viewing? What are you experiencing? All right, go ahead and open your eyes, kind of hold on to that thought for the rest of this morning. Most of us, I would suggest, had some type of miraculous demonstration in mind. That maybe when you think about the kingdom of heaven or the, the kingdom of God, that you're immediately drawn to maybe one of the gospel narratives, and, and, and it's a lame man walking, it's a blind man seeing. We spent some time in a series called Back to Life, where we looked at the places where Jesus physically resurrected somebody who was dead back to life. Maybe that was something that you were thinking about. Maybe you were thinking about revival, uh, things that you've studied in church history where there's just been just a, a, a move of God where, where churches were full and, and there was repentance and there was uh, whole nations that were shaped as a result of, of maybe what was going on. It is likely that your starting thought was something like that. It was, it was demonstrated power. And, and I want to say that should be part of our expectation. That should be part of our experience. We should experience the presence and the power of God in a way that transforms us from the inside out and is rocking the world around us. But I want to suggest to you that we need to begin with a simpler thought before we get there. And with that, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark in just a moment. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to invite you to open up your Bible app. And Lord, we take a moment to prepare our hearts to hear from your Word. Lord, that we wouldn't just hear, but that we would have ears to hear. Lord, that we would take the truth of your word in, even a challenging truth, and that you uh, would search our hearts with it, that we would respond to your spirit, and that we would be drawn to action this week. Lord, for the places where we've become so familiar with your word that we've lost the awe of it, Lord, would you rekindle a heart and a desire to know not just your word, but to know you as a result of that. And may it be what it is described as living and active, and may it move in our lives and move us in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. If your Bible's out, you can go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at a main portion of Scripture this morning that we're going to kind of sit and meditate in. We're going to unpack it for a while. We'll correlate it to a few other ideas in just a little bit, but what I want to uh, just kind of entreat you with is the thought or the answer to maybe this question, what does the kingdom of heaven look like? If we're going to contend for as it is in heaven here in Northeast Colorado, if we're going to contend for the kingdom of God to be present and at work in our individual lives, in our families, in our spheres of influence, and in our community, then, then what does it look like for the kingdom of heaven to be present? What does it look like for the kingdom of heaven to be advancing? What does that look like? We're going to answer that at least in part this morning. And again, most of us are going to start with power. We're going to start with miracles. We're going to start with like those, those, those stories where uh, everything changes and hinges on the power and presence of God, and we're going to long for that, and that's appropriate, and that's good, but I'm going to suggest to you that the foundation of the kingdom of God and what all of those miraculous demonstrations of the power of God are predicated by is something much more simple, and we're going to find it in Mark chapter 12, and I want to give you some context of where we are. In Mark chapter 12, this is the Tuesday of the week of Jesus' death. 
So you wouldn't necessarily know that if you were just kind of reading through Mark, but if you took a moment to add any studies alongside just kind of your daily Bible reading, instead of looking at this as just something that was happening at some time at some place, it's really important to recognize the context of it. Jesus is teaching in the temple in Jerusalem. So not just a synagogue in one of the other areas. He's actually in Jerusalem. He's at the temple, the center, right, of all of their focus and worship of God. And he's in that place. And this is the Tuesday of the week of his death. And in just a couple days, he's arrested, he's tried, he's put to death. This is the Tuesday before the Sunday where he walks out of the grave and conquers death. This is that Tuesday. It's the last public forum teaching of Jesus before he recluses himself in the final moments to spend with his disciples, imparting wisdom and understanding of the Holy Spirit just to them again before his arrest. This is the Tuesday before the Thursday where he institutes communion, something that we celebrated today. And it's important to recognize where this is because it means that all of the dramatic demonstrations of the power of God, all of the lame men walking, all of the blind men seeing, all of the dead people raised, like all of those things, all of the signs and wonders as John would refer to them in his gospel, all of those things have happened at this point. In fact, in, in the narrative, it, it was not too long ago that we have the resurrection of Lazarus, which is the catalyst for a ramping up of persecution against Jesus. It was kind of the last straw that led the religious leaders to say, no, we got to silence this guy for good. And so it's on that Tuesday. And he's in the temple and he's teaching. And a lot of the teaching that you read about in here ends up be, being him trying to teach and the religious leaders kind of pressing. It ends up kind of being more of a confrontational debate. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the other religious leaders are all pressing him, and they're looking for a way to entrap him. They're looking for a way to trip him up. They're looking for one more excuse that will lead them to the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday that's coming. And it's in that place that we bump into a different teacher of the law, one that is characterized, I would say, in, in uh, a very different capacity than most of the stories that you have of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We have a tendency to caricature them, Right? We put them all in, on the naughty list. Right, They're all like the, the bad guys. And then we put kind of everybody else in another bucket, and Jesus only spent time with one or the other. The, the truth is, is that Jesus spent time with all of them. They were all broken. They all needed a Savior. And even in the camp of the Pharisees and you Sadducees, you found those who responded to the message that Jesus came with. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. That's the whole starting point for our series, that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, that the way it is in heaven, you can experience it here, that, that the presence and the power and the person of God has drawn near, and you can live your life a different way because of that truth, that there were even religious leaders who had responded to that. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus has just been in kind of a little bit of a debate about resurrection with the Sadducees who didn't believe in a physical resurrection at all. And so he's gone into a conversation with them and he has spoken to them from scripture and he has kind of refuted some of their premise and ideas. And on the heels of that, you have this passage. I'm going to read it from my Bible and there's going to be a single verse that we focus on on the screen in just a moment. You can read along in your version if you have it with you. But it says, One of the teachers of the law came to him and heard him debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, Of all the commandments, 
which is the most important? So the, the religious leader asked Jesus, of, of all the commandments, of all the things that we're supposed to be doing, of all the do's and don'ts of God's word, of all of the kind of religious things we're supposed to be about, okay, what's the most important thing? And he calls him out in public, calls him out in this forum. And Jesus answers this. It says that the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And we have a tendency to think that when Jesus answers this, and you've probably heard messages about this, that when Jesus sums up all of the how do you honor God and how do you live in a way that is in right relationship with him, that he sums it all up with the idea of love God and love people. And we have a tendency to, to think of it as if Jesus kind of in, invented this type of language, but in his answers, he's actually quoting two Old Testament scriptures. Any religious leader would actually know these scriptures and would affirm them. Any Sadducee, any Pharisee, any teacher of the law. And so Jesus responds in this way, and he says there's no greater commandment than these. He takes those two and says, hey, here's the heart of everything that God is trying to draw us to understand, that we need to respond to his love, and then we need to love others in response to it. We need to respond to his love, and we need to love others in response to it. And so that's Jesus' response. And then the, the teacher of the law responds in this way. He says, well said, teacher. The man replied, you are right in saying that God is the one and there is no other to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength and, with, uh, uh, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And what you have in the response of this guy is he's like, I, I knew it. He's, he's not telling Jesus he's right as if Jesus didn't know that he got that answer right. Can I tell you? He knew the answer already. But his response is one that's really different from other places in Scripture where a similar conversation has. This man said, yes, I knew it. I knew that those things were more important than all of the sacrifices, all of the burnt offerings, all of the other to-do-y things of our our response to God, all the other things that we could be doing, these things are the most important. He's like, I knew it. And then Jesus responds in this way, and I think it's worth us noting, and this is the verse that will be up on the screen. It says this. It says that when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely. See, the man thought that he was affirming what Jesus had said and was like, ah, I knew it. But when Jesus recognized that he was answering wisely, Jesus spoke to him and said this. Look at this. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. In this last sitting of, of Jesus' teaching, in this last context, the message is as clear as the very beginning of his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. The kingdom of God is at hand. That the ways of heaven are are now here and present and able to be availed on earth. And then this exchange, in this last interaction, you have Jesus speaking to this man and affirming this very simple truth of the kingdom of God. If you are looking for the kingdom of heaven to be at work and to partner with that on earth, 
the first lens you should be looking through is the lens of love. Not the lens of power, the lens of love. In fact, one of the things that you find uh, illustrated in Jesus' ministry and one of the things that you find built out of Paul's theology is really this, that it was love that moved before power was demonstrated. In fact, Scripture says this, that it was the love of God, right, that was demonstrated in Christ's death and then led to His resurrection. Love's the catalyst for the power. See, many times when we think of heaven on earth, when we want it as it is in heaven in our life, we want to see God move. We want to see God do something. We, want to, we, we long for the miraculous to take place. In fact, we don't just long for it. We're like, we need it. You and I, we need miraculous wholeness and forgiveness and reconciliation. We need miraculous transformation in our persons and in our communities. We, we need that. But can I tell you that the power of God is always demonstrated in response to the love of God moving first, not the other way around. In fact, there were people who watched Jesus demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God who, who, who never drew closer to God in love and certainly didn't love his son. You can experience the power of God and never know the love of God, but when you have experienced the love of God, it's much easier to respond to and interact with and experience, recognize the power of God at work in your life. Heaven on earth looks like God's love expressed on earth first and foremost. See, as we go through this series, we're going to get to how do, how do I live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that if, if we are alive in the Spirit, we should live a life that keeps in step with the Spirit. We're, we're going to talk about how to, to move in faith and to operate in, in those types of things, how to, how to pray with power and how to contend for the miraculous. Yeah, we want to get there, but if you don't start with love, you can't actually get there. Or if you do, you won't operate in the power of God in a way that brings about health and wholeness in people. You will actually do damage to those that you meet because love is the catalyst for a true and pure move of God. The kingdom of heaven looks like the love of God. So heaven on earth is going to look like the love of God expressed on earth. And one of the things that, that I have found in my own life, one of the things that I find when I read the narratives of Jesus' ministry, and one of the things that you can find as normative pitfalls for the people of God throughout Scripture is to fall for counterfeit or forgery. And a lot of times when we talk about that, when we think about it, when I, when I think about growing up in the church, whenever uh, a pastor or a youth pastor would talk to me about kind of counterfeit or forgery, it was almost always in light of the idea of sin. That sin that, that the enemy looks to bring about like a, a close enough enticement to you that you'll take the shortcut for a lesser version of God's perfect thing for you, and, and you'll kind of fall for that. That there's a forgery, that there's a counterfeit, and that's certainly applicable. That's, that's, uh, uh, it, it's true. It's, it's part of our common experience. We're often enticed to take a lesser version of God's goodness because we can have it immediate or we can have it in our own um, kind of timeline or under our own um, set of, of parameters. So it's, it's not off base 
But I want to suggest to you that there is a more dangerous forgery than the enticements of sin or lesser versions of the things that God has for you and I. And it's this, the, there's the kingdom of heaven. And then, yes, there's the kingdom of this world and there's the kingdom of me and kind of my selfishness. Like th- those things are true. But I would say more often that you and I are susceptible to not falling into those entrapments, but we fall for the forgery of religion. And we do that very often. See, what the man found in, in his exchange with Jesus, he was like, hey, what, like what, what do I really need to be doing? Like he was learned. He understood Scripture. He knew all of the ins and outs of the requirements of the law. And he knew that he couldn't do all of those things. And he knew that he could even go through the motions of doing those things and still not be right with God. And so he's got this earnest question, and Jesus answers, hey, here, let's boil it down to this. And you've actually heard this teaching before. Jesus had these types of conversations on numerous occasions. We're going to look back at one in Luke chapter 10 towards the end of our time this morning and see a different response. And the narrative plays out in a different way. But as Jesus kind of boils it down, there's something in him that says, I knew it. I knew it wasn't about just all of the the stuff that we're supposed to like do, the hoops to jump through. I, I knew there was something more to this. He responded to that. And here's the interesting thing. When Jesus says that the greatest commandment, that, that if you're going to walk in the kingdom of God, if heaven on earth is going to be a part of your experience, that you have to start with loving God with all of your person understanding and love your neighbor as yourself, he wasn't saying something that God had never said before. He was quoting Deuteronomy and he was quoting Leviticus. He was taking it right out of Scripture, Scripture that they already knew they were supposed to be doing. Scripture that they were already familiar with, but they weren't walking it out. They weren't living it out. In fact, his greatest chastisements were for those who presumed to be religious, but didn't demonstrate the love and heart of God to the world around them. It was them that he called the whitewashed tomb. It was them that they called, he called the den of vipers. He said, you put on this presumption of being close to God, but you drive people from him because you don't know him. And here's the danger of falling into a religious forgery. You can know scripture and not live by it. You can quote me, love your neighbor as yourself, and hate your neighbor. We, we can quote Scripture and not apply it to our lives. We can know Scripture and not know the author. It's possible for you and I to pray regularly but not draw near to God. It, do, it doesn't sound like that should be right. It sounds like if we're earnest and we're disciplined that, that no, like I, I, I did that. I prayed like three times today. But last week when we were looking at kind of the Lord's Prayer as a starting point, just having an earnest hunger and a desire to respond to the invitation of His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when, when we began to look at that, the, the first part of that, we touched on it just for a moment last week, is Jesus telling them to not pray the way that they've been praying because they're doing it wrong. That as they stand in the public forum and they pray big, wordy, loud prayers and draw attention to themselves and affirm themselves and how great they are, that that's their reward, that they're no, nowhere near the heart of God when they do that. 
that when they babble on and they try to talk God into being motivated towards their own purposes, that somehow that that's, that's not it. They were demonstrating an overt outward religiosity, but they were far from God because it's possible for you and I to have a disciplined prayer life and not draw near to the heart of God. The forgery of religion is so dangerous for you and I because we can go through the outside motions. We can exercise morality and not be holy. And I love in this passage and in others like this where Jesus kind of clears, he, he like clears the space of all of the extra, like what do I need to do to somehow be good or be right or get in? He, he clears that away and he always brings it back to this idea that you need to respond in a right relationship with God and out of that respond rightly in relationship to others. For me growing up, uh, a simple way that I was challenged to view this in just my own person was that I need to be reminded to look up and then to look out. And not look out like, "Uh uh-oh, something's gonna, but to look out, to be intentional. Then I need to look up and I need to look out. See, because here's what I know. I know that there is no chance for you to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't receive the love of God first. Like you, you have to receive the love of God in order to move and live out in the love of God. And so we have to look up. We have to look to Him. We've got to press in. And you need to be spending time in God's Word, and you need to be spending time in worship, and you need to have a prayer life, but you need to do that as a way and a means of looking into the face of Jesus, not in a way of means of ticking a religious to-do list. Because you can fall for the forgery of religion and you can miss the kingdom of heaven that is right in front of you. And the kingdom of heaven will always begin with possibilities and opportunities to love. And to love in such a way that the power of God ends up being demonstrated. If you've got an earnest desire to see a revival in our community, to see the world transformed, if you've got an earnest desire uh, uh, desire in you, uh, to see people made whole, to see the radical and the miraculous take place. Can I tell you, you've got to have an earnest tenacity for the love of God before you'll ever see that stuff demonstrated in your life, because the love is the starting point, it's the catalyst. In fact, Paul, when he's bringing a correction to the Corinthian church that was so hungry to see the power of God demonstrated right in the middle of his correction about how to function and operate and to live that out in a way that actually makes a difference in the world around you is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he basically says this, if you are demonstrating all of the gifts and the power of the Spirit of God and you don't have love, then what you're doing doesn't matter and it doesn't have any value. And most often when you see Jesus move and he demonstrates the miraculous of the power of God, before the power is demonstrated, before the miracle happens, before the lame man walks, before the blind man sees, Scripture goes out of its way to say, and seeing them, Jesus was moved with compassion for them. And then, even in Jesus, it's his love and compassion that motivates or precludes the power and the demonstration that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And I can tell you that there are whole swaths of the church, and I'm not just talking about uh, the American church, just the church. There's, there, there's eager and desiring followers of Jesus who want to see the kingdom of heaven, but they don't want to love anybody. And you just, you won't. You'll have a 14 million drawing right in front of you and you won't recognize it for the value that it is. You'll have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community and they will be sitting across from you and you will look in their eyes and you won't see Jesus. You'll see an annoyance or you'll see an excuse and you will miss the opportunity because you weren't moved by love first. That's the, that's the danger that we run into. And one of the things that I found, I, I, I won't speak to you, I'll speak to myself. One of the dangers that I found in my own life is that it's possible for me to look into the eyes of somebody who has been created in the image of God, as Scripture would suggest, and not see the face of Jesus. I can see something else. And for me, I always know this, that when I'm looking at somebody and I don't see Jesus in them, somebody who's been created in the image of God, but I don't see any of God's value or see the eyes of Jesus in them, what I know for me has been true is that I haven't been looking into the face of Jesus for a while. Because when I spend time gazing into the eyes of Christ and when I spend time responding to his love to me, like you, you can't spend time with Jesus without responding to his compassion for you. You can't spend time with Jesus without really recognizing the depth and the breadth of his love for you. And even as you have that recognition, you recognize that you don't understand that fully, that you don't deserve that fully. There's something in us that even wants to shrink away from that, but his grace and his pursuit of us keeps drawing us back. And it's in that place that all of a sudden we're receiving a love that is bigger than what we could just kind of manufacture in our strength or experience in the world around us. And it's in response to that that all of a sudden we can be moved by the love of God to make a difference in somebody else's life around us, to actually love our neighbor as ourselves. See, sometimes the challenge for us is loving our neighbor as ourself. Like, sometimes our challenge is our neighbor. Like, so, like, sometimes they stink. Sometimes your neighbor's challenge is you. You're, you're the hard one to love, not you, the other service. Got to keep it fair, though. And sometimes our challenge is it's hard for us to love others the way we love ourselves, because we, we don't love ourselves. And it's in getting back to a place where we're receiving the love of God and we're responding to the way that He gives value to us that all of a sudden we can receive something that we know that we don't deserve, that we didn't create on our own, that we don't get as a reward for jumping through a forgery of religion, but we just get a grace and the goodness of God in our life, and it's in that place that it begins to well up and we can respond and we can move out to the community around us. On an earlier occasion, Jesus had a similar conversation with another expert in the law is how he was described, Luke chapter 10. And the man posed this question to Jesus. He came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, what must I do to attain eternal life? 
And Jesus doesn't answer his question there. He actually says, well, how do you read it? What, is, what, what, is, what do the commandments say? What's God say about this? You're the expert in the law. Give me the answer. And the man answers with this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. With all of... He knew the answer. And love your neighbor as yourself. He knew it. Expert in the law, just like the guy in Mark 12. And Jesus said, good, go and do that. And then the very next statement in the narrative says this, but the man wanting to justify himself asked, who is my neighbor? See, he knew scripture, but he didn't know the heart of God. He knew the right answer, but he wasn't going to live it out. And he was looking to prolong the debate. And you move from that question of who is my neighbor to the story of the Good Samaritan. Many of you would be familiar with that. And the difference between that expert in the law and the one in Mark 12 was one was able to recognize the kingdom of heaven when it was in front of him and one was not. And that lens of understanding was knowing the love of God. As we contend for heaven on earth, as you begin to, to contend for heaven on earth in your families and in your friendships, as you begin to, to, to pray for a move of God in our community, you and I, we have to start with the love of God if we're going to see the power of God. We have to start with the love of God if we're going to see the power of God. The question of, of who is your neighbor, if you go to the story of the Good Samaritan, really is answered by this. When you recognize an opportunity, love. When you recognize the possibility, love. To act when you see it. To start where you are. To move as opportunity would present itself. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is preparing to leave. He's preparing to ascend into heaven. And he reminds his disciples that they're going to go and they're going to do this kingdom stuff. That they're going to go and they're going to be about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That you're going to do all the things that I did and you're going to do more than that, Jesus speaks to them. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells them this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Listen to me, the kingdom of God is demonstrated by the power of God. Don't make a mistake about it. The power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, moving and transforming and doing the absolute miraculous, absolutely contend for that as it is in heaven, on earth. Let's see that happen. But the power, the power comes after the demonstration of love. And here Jesus says, you're going to receive power in the Holy Spirit that comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go and do this kingdom stuff. And then he gives them kind of these three concentric circles of geography. He says, you're going to do it in Jerusalem, which was the town that they were in, and then Judea, Samaria. So that's kind of the outward region outlined to it. And then he goes to the ends of the earth. And what starts here as geography, I want to suggest to you, can also be applied to your life relationally. And this is where I would want to challenge you to begin this week. Like your, your Jerusalem is your tight relationship circle. It's your inner circle. It's the people who are closest to you. 
Now, that may be family, but some of us, our families are jacked up. They don't make it into the inner circle. It's certainly friendships in a sense, but it's relationships that have the most value to you and I. And this is how I would say it. I would say that the tightest circle of influence in your life are your friendships, and you can characterize them as this. Who do you like? Who do you like? They get to be in the inner circle. Start loving like crazy in that circle. Unconditionally, agape, crazy, heaven love, start loving like crazy in that circle. And then as you begin to do that, move out to your next concentric circle, your Judea and Samaria, that relationship circle, we could just call relationships in general, because here's the thing, relationships are who you know. And there's people that you know that you don't like. They're not in the inner circle. That's friendships. That's who I like. My relationships are who I know. And some of them I don't like. Love like crazy in that circle. That geographic circle, Judea and Samaria, that was a hard place for the disciples to love. If you understand the the, uh, socio-political dynamic of Samaria and the Jews, it was, we know you, but we don't like you. Good, love like crazy in there. And as you move out to the ends of the earth, it becomes your partnerships. It's, It's who can you interact with? Who can you collaborate with? At our church family meeting, we talked about this being a focus that we would have for the year. We've got a graphic that's going to go up here that illustrates that, this idea of friendships and relationships and partnerships. Not just for this series, but for this year, contend for a move of God in each one of those circles. Contend to demonstrate the love of God in each one of those circles. And we didn't make it like a target. We didn't make it concentric circles that moves out from there. We made it like a three-bladed fan on purpose because the only way that those fan blades can move is if the wind moves with it. And can I tell you that your Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and ends of the earth, for the love of God and the power of God to be demonstrated in those places, you need the Spirit of God to blow through that. The wind of God, the breath of God to be moving in those areas. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close. Worship team, if you would come forward. We're going to take a few minutes to allow the Lord to search our hearts and to lead us into a response to give us um, some divine imagination as to how we can go about doing some of these things. (coughs) As the worship... (coughs) Excuse me. As the worship team gets set, I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. <clears throat> We're going to <clears throat> look at a couple of different ways to respond this morning. And the first one I want to do, I want to, I want to speak to my friends here. You've been following Jesus for a long time. Someone said, hey, are you saved? You would say, yeah, absolutely. You could give them a date and a time. Could rattle off some scripture. Got awesome attendance at church. Got your name on your Bible. You know, it's possible for us to fall into the rut of moving through the forgery of religion and be really missing the time of spending 
looking in Jesus' face. You know, is, are there places where you're doing things but that loving God, loving people has kind of been displaced? Lord, for any heart here that's been lured away by that to-do checklist of religiosity, Lord, would you free them from that this morning? Would you draw them back lovingly to you? May you turn their eyes from their duty and from their list just back to looking in your face. May they know your love and your grace anew and afresh in that place. Lord, that there wouldn't be a sense of shame or guilt for having found themselves in that place this morning, but there would be just a new refreshing breath of your spirit in them as they respond once again to your unconditional love. Lord, for some of my friends here, maybe they've been contending for the miraculous in their life and they've been doing all of the things to go about walking in the power of your kingdom. They've tried to move and kind of flex that spiritual muscle maybe on their own, but they, they didn't start with love. They haven't been moved by your compassion. Lord, would you move afresh in us today that that would be our starting point, that we would look up to receive your love and then we would look out for places to share that. And we, we do so in uh, as willingly of an unconditional way as you have for us, Lord, that we would be giving what we've received, not a lesser than counterfeit that we've manufactured on our own. Lord, may we respond to your love today. Lord, maybe as we've been talking about bringing heaven on earth in our friendships and our relationships, and in our partnerships, Lord, maybe there's been a particular challenge in one of those areas for one or more of my friends here today. Lord, would you meet them in that place? Would they have eyes to recognize that you already are moving in that circle and that you're inviting them to love like crazy, just like you, like to partner with you in that place? Would you give them an imagination that sees those opportunities and responds to those? Lord, that can recognize the valid move of God right before them. And they can say, man, I'm going to love like that. Lord, let us start with love. And let that be the catalyst for the power demonstrated in our lives. Give us an earnest heart and a deep longing that our life would be lived out as it is in heaven, Lord, that our experiences would be a mirror of as it is in heaven. Give us not just that longing, Lord, but as let us take steps of faith to align the way that we live with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Action steps for this week are going to revolve around your FRPs, your friendships, relationships, and partnerships. Okay, begin to love others as you have opportunity. Okay, so as you see and recognize an opportunity, love like crazy in that place. Start with your friendships. Who do you like? Move to your relationships. Who do you know? And then move out from there to your partnerships. Who can you work with to move and advance the kingdom of God this week?